Welcome to the Rocking Life podcast, Rocking Life After Divorce. And today we have Brett Churnin from Australia. And we had a little difficulty getting the time zones in and everything, but we've worked it out. How are you doing today? I'm good. Start of my day today, end of yours. So uh, it's great to start my day with talking to you. Yeah. So your passion about creating a unique conversation and connection between men through men's groups. I have a passion for helping men and both in groups and one-on-one. I do coaching one-on-one and in groups and I've had a passion for groups for over 20 years. And uh, you have been a coach and facilitator for over 21 years. You're a father of four children and uh, in a loving and harmonious relationship. And uh, But you're also a child of divorced parents and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on how that affected you and, and how that was to grow up in a divorced family. But first, uh, you're going to start with sharing something about how you work in the men's groups. Yeah, I'd love to, to share that and I'd love to share, I've been involved in men's groups for 20 odd years or something like that. My own men's group for 16 years, supporting other men's groups to start for the last 12, 13 years, the Facebook group that we've that we've created that's uh, that's growing steadily. So yeah, happy to talk about that too. Yeah, and what was that about the practice of pillars? I, I think it'd be great to share. Over the years, I've sort of developed. And I was talking to a mate last night. We were sit- literally sitting around a fire and catching up because we've been in lockdown for four months in in Sydney and. We're just starting to get out there again, and and I, I we sat by the fire last night, and he was like, he looked at me, he was like, how do you do everything that you do? You've got four kids, you've got a full time business, you're doing all this men's work. How do you fit it all in? And I said to him, I've been over the years kind of adding to my toolkit and working out what are what I call what we call our my practice pillars or my pillar practices, as in like, what are the things that I do either daily or weekly or monthly, quarterly, annually? What are those things that I do on a regular basis that support me in my capacity to kind of be as powerful as I can possibly be in life? I'd love to share some of those, but I'd love to really also share or explore this idea for each man, because for each man, it's something different. But I think that if we're not aware of what those pillars are, then we're certainly not accessing them. And if we're not accessing them, then we're definitely not being as capable as we potentially could be as men. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. Actually, I'm going through coaching myself. I have a co- my own coach. I, I am a coach, but I'm also being coached. And we're currently going through scheduling and how important it is of keeping your own schedule and being very in tune and intentional with your schedule. And I'm doing that over six months now. And it's totally life-changing to have a very good practice and having these you know, having the schedule, having the, uh, how you keep your schedule. So, but uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, but we'll start from the beginning. You know, you grew up uh, and, and your parents uh, divorced when you were fairly young. And uh, how did that affect you? And uh, how was it to grow up in a, in a divorced family? And, and uh, how has that uh, colored your life? So my mom tells the story of literally having me and... I think finding out that my dad was cheating on her literally around that that period and that from that point in time, there was this dynamic of them 
basically sort of separating. So what would happen is they would separate and my mum would find her strength in herself and then she would become more attractive to him and then they would get back together again. And so that there was a, a, a period, I think, from probably probably from birth, but I guess there were three or four separations. Oh, wow. I can kind of remember between sort of five and 11 or 12 where they would go and come back together again. That's my memory of it. It could have been less than that, but, you know, that it happened several times. And so there was this kind of, you know, observation, like watching my parents kind of being apart and then coming back together again and just sort of, I guess I lost faith at that at that young age in relationships lasting <laughs> yeah you know and for many years after that i kind of somehow ingrained in me at that point of like oh well just i don't know if i believe in monogamy and i don't know if, i don't know if i believe in relationships and i didn't even see that that had occurred until much later but interestingly for me both of my parents you know they finally divorced at age 12 and it was not um it was not a particularly unharmonious or acrimonious split. And it may have been for them, but they did, I guess, they worked really hard to not do that in front of us, me and my sister. And so whilst I could sort of sense tension as I was kind of growing up or whatever, actually what I saw and experienced was birthdays that we were all together you know, and when I saw them together and when they were talking about each other, it was quite harmonious. And then each of my parents then met their, you know, future partners who they've been with ever since. So, you know, what I got to start to then recognize was how those fractured relationships could actually become these new holes and how my stepfather could become a father figure to me and how my stepmother could become a mother figure to me and how, you know, when I had a birthday as, as I was growing up, we would all get together. I had this experience of having almost like it was a, for me, it was an enhanced life. I think my sister was probably more negatively impacted. She was five years my younger. So, but for me, I kind of look back to the divorce and to what occurred after that as being a really positive thing. And even though it somehow did create that kind of sense of, well, that question mark around relationships and whether or not they, you know, a monogamous relationship was something that I I believed in. I had positive relationships around me and I had experienced divorce in a way that made me feel like, okay, there's a, there's a way through this, you know, and that there's a way of doing it that can have a positive impact on kids. Yeah. You know. It's interesting that you say that because you hear so many stories that are negative and that you actually yeah. find the positive in the divorce. And uh, in my own divorce, I, you know, me as a person, I always try to find the gold nuggets in everything. And I believe there always are. But uh, for example, my kids, I have four kids, and they're a little bit older than yours. They have become so close to each other. It's amazing. And I think it's a lot, quote, thanks to the divorce. They have kind of like uh, really, because I have a gap. Two kids are 25 and 23, and then 19 and 17. 
uh, so it's quite a, a gap but they are all super close and uh, they love to hang out together they do rock climbing together and uh, they have really you know kind of like gotten close through the divorce and uh, i think that's can be because i'm not that close to my brothers i have two brothers i've never been that close to them and i grew up in a, my mom and dad uh, they stayed married uh, my dad passed away way too early 20 years ago but um, they they were married and they had a, a very good relationship especially last 10 years but they had uh, struggle when I was a teen and I actually started trying to help them out but uh, <laughs> they, they made it through and and uh, it's interesting how you know different relationship what you can learn from it so do you have any suggestions for divorced parents if there are things that they should do and shouldn't do as a parent of a, in a divorced family where you have people you know listening right now they've mm -hmm. gone through the divorce like uh, three four years ago and they have kids together i haven't gone through it myself so i've only observed it as a kid so i'm not going to kind of suggest that i really know I, I like my wife has an ex and we have our eldest child is is from a previous relationship of hers and i remember when i met her her eldest or her daughter at the time was 15 months so you know I met my daughter at 15 months and at the time she was very bitter and very angry towards her partner. I just remember coming into this and just saying this and as someone who's coming from the outside and seeing the frustrations you're experiencing, but somehow we have to find a way with this man, you know, we have to, because he's in your life forever yeah. and you two are going to be connected forever because you have this child. So you may not like him, but the more, and I guess I was coming from my experience of having a harmonious relationship between my parents, that I think that is just, if we can do whatever we can to try to develop that harmony, it's an extraordinary experience and it takes something. And it's, you know, there's that beautiful saying, you can be right or you can have relationships or so choose. Yeah, And when you choose to not spend the rest of your life with someone who you've just spent the last 20 years, as you said, you know, you've spent 20 years with this person and you're choosing to not be with them. It's very hard to not be focused on all the things that, you know, that they do that piss you off, you know, and that, you know, that you're not aligned with because, and sometimes that righteousness you know, gets in the way of the connection and the relationship, you know, and it's very hard when you've got kids as well and you're trying to find your way. Now we, we're parenting differently and we see life differently. But for me, it's like if we can find a way to create that harmony, it's, it's an, it can be an extraordinary thing, you know. And I know it's not possible for every relationship, but I think it's a good goal to, to aim towards, you know. About six months ago, I went to a restaurant I knew that this was happening, but my dad and my stepdad were there with five other guys and they were all having dinner together. Actually, it was someone's birthday and it was just like a gathering of, you know, the blokes, yeah. the men. Maybe it was about 10 because it was like an L shape. And I walked in and there on the corner there, I saw my dad and my stepdad sitting next to each other. And like they could have sat on opposite ends yeah. of the, you know, this table, but actually they had chosen to sit next to each other because they're friends, yeah. you know? And so when I see that as a kid growing up, you know, obviously I felt that nature yeah. between them. It made a really big difference to 
me and who I am and what I see as possible. So, you know. I have a TikTok channel too, and uh, I see so much bitterness and unforgiveness in these type of uh, relationships. And I think it's forgiveness is definitely, I think, is a part of working through this. It can be a, a lot of hurts and uh, to go through the divorce. But uh, I think to get out to the other way, I think it's important to to do the work. And it, it takes time. A lot of, it needs a lot of patience and, and uh, working through this process. It's a grief moving through a, a divorce. For and sure, it, for, uh, for sure. But it does require work. And it's much easier to say, to point the finger and say, they did this to me yeah. and they were like this. And I, I understand and I get that, but it doesn't create any kind of transformation in relationship when we're pointing the finger at someone else. No, and exactly. And we can, when we can look at, and I'm not talking about blaming or, you know, but it's really like, okay, here's what I'm responsible for. Yeah. You know, especially when there's those examples of like, and I see this in our Facebook group a lot, you know, like she left me, she did this to me. She, she, did, she cheated on me. She, she's asked for a divorce and I'm like, well, okay. I get that, but what led to her being unfulfilled? Yeah. What led to this lack of communication between the two of you? And what are you responsible for in that? Yeah. You know, not like blame, but what what are you responsible for so that you can then say, okay, good, I can, I own this bit, she owns that bit, and then together we, you know, we we did this. Yeah, and then you, then you grew up, and in 1999 you still, had still still growing up, still, still yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, not as grown up as you are right now, but a little bit earlier on that there. path. 1999, you had something that turned your life around, shook you up, or something. You, I don't know the details, but I usually say I love being uh, on podcasts and being that detective and kind of like finding these gems. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. This was my kind of aha moment, I guess. You know, it's like I think everyone um, has this moment in life, whether it's a, a, a moment of trauma or a moment of triumph. But usually it's this aha moment of seeing something about themselves. And sometimes we see something about ourselves and we make a story and we go down that downward spiral. But sometimes we see something amazing about ourselves and we recognize something within ourselves and we kind of like, it's like it takes us up, you know. For me, it was up. Uh, wow. And it was, uh, what, 22 years ago, uh, I was driving my car um, on my way back from actually from a first aid course that I was doing. And I saw a car reversing like across the road, up the footpath, and then the wheels spin and it just shot back straight across the street, like right in front of me. And it went over to the other side. It went over the footpath, hit the brick wall that was there. And there was this massive explosion, just like huge explosion. I later found out that on the other side of that brick wall was the gas main. So that was what the explosion was. So it was quite a severe you know, fire. I got out of my car and I mean, long story short, she was unconscious. She was drunk. Uh, she was uh, about 60 years of age. I was the first person on the, on the, on site. And uh, there were other people who were kind of standing around watching or whatever, but I heard her door was locked. She was unconscious. She was in, you know, within her seatbelt. And so I had to get through the passenger side 
and get into this car when it was like literally like the movies, you know, wow, the flames crackling the the heat the and just remembering to my thinking to myself like please don't blow up please don't blow up. <laughs> you know wow. I had to literally like you know take her out of her seatbelt and pulled her out and you know a couple of seconds later she was um i mean the car was gone and so it was a moment for me you know i mean i i subsequently i you know i got a bravery award and from the governor general and it was a it was a lovely moment for me, but really it was a moment. What was most important, and it was beautiful to save her life, and you know she was very obviously very appreciative. And we still have some contact today, but it was a moment of recognizing that when, like in a moment of real, in that sort of darkness and in that kind of, I, I can't kind of describe it, but like I chose to do the right thing. Yeah, and it, there was no thought in it. There was no—I mean, I was obviously having thoughts, but it, I'd call it spontaneous right action, where I did what I believed to be the right thing to do, without thinking about it, without thinking about myself, without thinking about anything. Just like that was the right thing to do in the moment. It was that moment of really recognizing for myself that I could trust myself to do the right thing when the shit hit the fan. You know, when things really got tough, I could rely on myself and count on myself to do what needed to be done. Yeah. And when I saw myself and saw that within myself, it's not something that I could unsee. I can hide behind around it or whatever from, from them, but I, I always knew from then that I trusted myself to do the right thing. You say it's a turning point. What was the turning? I understand the the event, but what happened? What was it like prior to that? And what you know? What uh, I think it was as simple as just not trusting myself, and that once I actually saw that I could, that I was trustable, and it's yeah. this idea of like, what does it take to be a trustable man? Okay. And then for me, it's like, okay, I trust myself that I can count on me to do the right thing. Yeah. So I think from there, everything kind of flowed in terms of like whenever there was a decision-making process or a fear around something or, a, you know, it was like, okay, no, I trust myself. I'll do the right thing. You know, I knew I would do the right thing. I could, I guess it was just a moment of seeing myself in a different light and yeah. in a different way. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, just kind of changed the trajectory for me. I went, you know, I was a fitness trainer and a dietitian and at the time and I went, you know, from there I got into coaching and I've been a coach for, you know, 21 years ever since. I think it's been a, a, an important part of my, I've always wanted to help people and make a difference to others. And that was kind of like that crystallizing, you know, saving somebody's life is probably crystallizing that. Yeah, like it probably doesn't get any better than saving someone's life physically. Saving exactly. Someone's life. So yeah, I, for me, we, we talked a little bit about that. I think everybody that's lived a long life have had those type of turning points in their lives, and for me, it was definitely going through a divorce. This is six started over six years ago, and to be able to really reevaluate your life, it was definitely like a catalyst, a wake up call. I had a lot of difficulty you know, throughout the marriage and prior with worrying what other people thought about me, not being authentic, not being uh, real, you know, put my value in things, having a nice house, having a nice car, etc. 
but going through the divorce and uh, you know financially crumbling not being able to to uh, have those things having to live uh, pretty much in airbnbs and hotels for a long long time years uh, having to travel back and forth to sweden I was forced into making some difficult decisions and starting to become me again, becoming who I am. And uh, it's been a process. It's definitely uh, taken a long time, but it's been an amazing journey to start opening up. To you know, I, I was so I had so much shame about the divorce. You know, my parents were married in church. They speak so much about staying married, but very seldom about divorce. I felt like a huge failure because I had a divorce. And it wasn't until I started talking about having the divorce or, or going through the divorce with people that that shame started dissipating. And uh, I didn't realize what had happened until I read Brene Brown's book about shame. Uh, mm. And I don't know if you heard about Brene Brown, but uh, sure. she talks about, you know, shame wants you to be quiet about whatever you're shamed of, but whenever you let that out, that shame will dissipate. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm very authentic today, but just six years ago, I had such a hard time being authentic and real. And it's been, for me, it's been amazing. It's been a really awesome journey. So it's really nice to hear that your turning point in your life and how that twisted your kind of like direction of your life. And it was more, it was like, as you sort of said, it's, it's in the realm of being, you know, it's, it's just like that for you, you sort of saw the, uh, you know, you experienced the shame and then, you know, the aha moment of, oh, okay, well, what's the out of that, yeah. you know, for me, it was really just like, do I trust myself? You know, because that, that question we, many of us have of like, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Yeah. And so even though I still might ask myself that, and you know, at certain times, there's that place in me now that can trust myself and go, yeah, you are, you know, Brett, you are worthy enough. You are good enough. Um, and you made me think about this, but actually like this, because you sort of said that, and that was really the key for me around men's groups is this idea of holding on to something and that when we have an opportunity to actually share it, it actually transforms. Yeah. And for me, that is most certainly where I am most passionate about men's groups and why I believe that they're just so powerful is because they, they actually do create that safe space to... Yeah speak and express what is occurring internally you know yeah. versus ho holding on to it and, yeah and so yeah I, it's so so powerful to be able to have a place and space to be able to share our experience of life yeah and it's awesome when you're in the group and then if somebody is courageous enough to start being vulnerable it's very easy to, to help other people become vulnerable too. Because I started to practice this six years ago, going through the divorce, because I wanted to connect with people. And on the airplanes, I would just start talking to the other person next to me because I was sitting there for hours and hours. So they became a practice for me. And then I started sharing about the divorce. And then they started sharing about all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of like a, a, a key to unlock them 
And, you know, it's pretty amazing how people are so closed off. And then you just, all you do is to kind of like share something that's difficult. And then you're kind of like unlocking them. And the same thing in groups, when you have the safety of the group and you start getting to know each other and a few start sharing. And I have some experience, you know, from a family member that has been through AA, you know, for years. And um, it's the same thing there. You can go there as an anonymous, but you're listening into all their stories yeah. about all their hardship. And then they start becoming, you know, okay to start sharing themselves. And that helps them tremendously. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about your work with the, the groups. And that's how I actually found you. Yeah. Because I, I joined your group and then I asked, Can't, can I interview you? I want to hear, you know, what, what is this group here? And what do you, what's the work you do? So I have a full-time job, by the way. And so everything that I do in terms of, at the moment, and everything I do in terms of men's work is just because I love it and I'm passionate about it, you know. And so that's 17 years ago. 2004, a couple of mates and I went and did a course called Trusting the Masculine. And it was uh, just run by a, a guy in Sydney and it was the first experience that I had had with a men's group. Although a few years earlier, I had discovered David Dieter's book, Way of the Superior Man. And that was that first kind of conversation. I remember, you know, he said in the book, you know, like you really need to surround yourself with men friends. Yeah. And make it a safe space, but have them be accountable, hold you accountable and support you through, the, through life. And then, so it was a, a few years later that I you know, discovered this course and this course was a very intense course, quite physical as well, but very, so very somatic, but also really just experiencing what a men's circle actually looked like. And I just loved it. I just loved this idea of men being able to, I always knew even from a kid, you know, in a, in a like a, a boys school that I was, that's not the kind of relationships I wanted. I wanted real relationships with other males. Yeah. And I knew that from a, you know, as a teenager and I, I'd always been seeking and, you know, I'd always been seeking real authentic connection with other men like a level of intimacy because i always connected very well in that way with women but not so well with men and so i knew that that was a gap and i knew that that was a missing and even after school you know when i went traveling for a year that's when i really started to seek out certain found some you know men who were just like yeah I'll, I'll, let's have a real relationship you know let's yeah. hug each other when we see each other and you know, let's tell each other we love each other and, you know, like let's let's be real with each other and roar and it's in the same way that I was with my female friends, you know. Yeah. But in a different way, you know. And so when I did this course with a couple of mates, it was just like that was it, you know. And then another friend of mine knew that I'd done this course and he was like, why, why don't you start a men's group? Because I was telling him about this. And that we started this, like that group like 16 sort of years ago or something like that. And our group actually is still going today. So, you know, there's probably two or three of us that are still the same. Wow. You know, which, and how many people do you have in the group? Well, our group's probably now nine or ten, but it's usually yeah. been somewhere around that eight or nine or something like that. You know, men have come and gone. Some of them have been around for 10 years, 12 years, you know. Our group's pretty solid, but it's an ever-evolving, changing, challenging 
you know, thing. We're about to, uh, not this weekend, but the next, we're going to have our annual retreat where we're just going like, to let loose a bit. We have a very strong, robust conversation with each other every two weeks. There's a very clear structure, clear timing. This is not just like every man speaks for blah, 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 you know, and vomits all his stuff for an endless amount of time. Like we speak for five minutes, and then we get five minutes of feedback, and then it's on to the next man. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a clear structure. There's lots of different men's groups, and different men's groups yeah. work in different ways. Some of them are very much a deep dive into sort of like, trauma and transformation others are very high level and really just social you know going out for dinner together or drinks or together ours is probably i guess it, i sort of see the, the you know our style is sort of somewhere in between where i think in order for men to have a very unique connection and conversation where we share openly and honestly and authentically with each other and then give each other support around that I think most men need training around that because yeah. if, if the men out there are like me, we didn't really, I didn't get it from my dad. Nope. You know? <laughs> Even though I got, I got some great stuff from him and I love yeah. him dearly and we've had to do our work over the years together to get to that place, but it was a missing for me. So I felt like I needed training in how to have that kind of conversation and connection. The way that we work it in our group is we sit First. So meditation has always been an absolute fundamental foundation of our men's group. And it is most certainly an absolute fundamental foundation and a practice pillar for me, if I can yeah. put in that little sort of tip. But we always sit in silence together for 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah. So one group I'm in is 10, one group 20, but it's like, let's just ground ourselves. A lot going on. Let's just kind of come back to the breath, come back to the body. Let's just take it down a notch. And in doing that, let's connect with what are we present to in this moment. And then we have a check-in. And each man, it's not a big you know, story. It's really just, here's how I'm feeling. You know, like I'm, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling enthusiastic. And I'm feeling jealous. Uh, and I'm a six out of ten. You know, we rate ourselves. Okay. You know, and 10 is like 10 out of 10 is amazing. And it's really just like getting in touch with our emotions and being able to express that. And then like, how are we going in life? And then when every man has had a check-in, then we just literally go around and each man gets five minutes of time to share whatever he wants to share. Yeah. But we usually limit it to about five minutes. Okay. Anything more than that can tend to be, now, if it's something big, then they may need some more time. But generally speaking, there is an art and a mastery to being able to communicate what is going on with myself in a succinct and uh, short kind of way, Absolutely. You know, uh. and so the timing around that kind of forces us to do it because otherwise yeah. we'll just blurt out for five minutes of story and we haven't got to the heart of what is really going on. And if, if we can quickly get to the heart of what's going on for us, then there's, then that allows the truth to kind of be unveiled. Yeah. You know? So we share for five minutes and then we have five minutes, and this is probably a bit different to some men's groups out there, where they only share. And that in itself is transformational. 
just being able to speak into a safe space yeah. where nobody's like going, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, yeah, and they're not, not, not responding in any way. They're just receiving whatever is going on for me. If that in itself can be transformational. Just to be witnessed and heard yeah. and not judged by other men in a safe space, it's that in itself is phenomenal. Yeah. I saw it just literally like two weeks ago. We had this, we had a group, and this young guy comes on and he's like, and he checked in and he was like really feeling nervous. And anyway, I, I said, How about you sort of share? And you know, he started and he went from I'm dealing with this really big issue and I'm, I've had a lot, I've been really nervous and really anxious about it. And he shared, then he kind of like shared what was going on, which by the way, he found out that he was about to be a father. Like he wow. found out that his, him and his partner were pregnant, right? His partner was pregnant. But what was really going on for him, he was freaking out. How am I going to do this? Am I going to be good yeah. enough? You know, am I ready to be a, a dad or whatever? And he was panicking he hadn't shared it with anybody let alone his partner yeah. so he's carrying this around you know so anyway we watched within like literally four and a half minutes we did nothing to him other than create a safe space for him and within four and a half minutes he went from being anxious and afraid and you know doubtful so he kind of like almost talked himself out of it and he was like wow ah oh, actually I'm ready. I feel, you know, and he just, he went from anxiety to joy in four and a half minutes. Wow. And all, all that happened was he had a safe space to share what was there, to see that it was just a thought, yeah. that it actually had no basis. And that, and that actually he was really, what he was really present to was just like, he couldn't wait, you know, and then he couldn't wait to go and tell his partner about how he was feeling. So there's an immense benefit in, in being, just being able to speak and share. Yeah. We take that a little step further, though, in our group. We give what we call for reflection. And it can come in the form of just acknowledgement, or it can come as feedback, or it can come as advice, or it can come as challenge. So there's like, you know, acknowledgement, feedback, advice, and challenge. Now, sometimes someone puts something out there and they're like, I just want your advice. Tell me what you think I should do. You know, it's like permission to advise. Yeah. Sometimes they don't even realize what's going on. And it's like, oh, you know, hang on a second. I'm going to challenge you here. You know, sometimes it's just like, mate, I hear you. I really hear you. And I just want to acknowledge your courage. Just that. And sometimes it's a bit of feedback. Here's what I heard underneath what you said. And maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, and when we can get the counsel and support from another man and from a, a group of men that we trust in a safe space, even if it's not easy to hear as feedback or advice or as challenge or as just acknowledgement, it helps us to kind of see something else. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, you have a different perspective. Different perspective, uh, and we may not like what we hear, and uh, it may actually be off in a way. But it's okay yeah. as well. It's kind of like okay, no, nope, that doesn't resonate for me. But that, oh wow, thank you. That really resonated for me. Now I see my issue in a different way. So I find that reflection time as being very, very valuable. But again, 
as men, we need training in how do we, first of all, listen to someone without responding to him and just receiving him? And then how do we know what is it that I need to give him that's going to be a contribution to who he is as a man? Wow. And how can I do that in a way that even though I'm fearful about how is he going to feel about this and is it the right feedback or not? And, you know, wow, this is going to be bold, but is he going to take it? You know, it's just like, I'm going to give this to you. Sometimes it can be like, we call it in our group, like ruthless compassion. It's not, we didn't make up the saying, but it's this idea of being like really ruthless with someone, but also holding them in a loving space. So I'm going to be ruthless with you. I'm going to challenge you on this and I'm going to hold you accountable, but I want you to know that I'm doing it from a place of love because I want you to be the best man that you can be. And that for us is is the power of the men's group. You know, it's not just a talk fest and talking is valuable. Yeah. So it's 10 minutes total per person then, five minutes plus five minutes, and then go through everyone. So that's, you know, what's the total length of the group? Our group's right go for two hours. So you can imagine if we've we've got nine men, that's 90 minutes of sharing, 10 minutes of sitting, 10 minutes of check-in. And so sometimes what we'll do is once we've gone through it, or even at the time, you know, we're, we're not that rigid that if a man is dealing with something significant, we'll drop everything Yeah. and say, okay, nobody else is sharing. Is everyone happy to give up their share and everything else to just go through this with this man? Oh, there you yeah, go. We need to, he needs our attention. Great. Yeah. Or what can occur sometimes and often in a men's group is that, two men are triggering each other. Oh. And what we say in the group is if that's occurring, then we go with that first. That takes precedence over everything else because there's something to, to gain here. Let's, yeah. in a safe space, okay, you, let's talk about what's going on here. What, what was triggered in you? How do you feel about this? What, you know, Interesting. Because that's the same thing in, in relationships, in a romantic awesome. relationship. You know, the triggers are usually points of, you know, learning and growing. That's the important <laughs> thing for me about men's groups. It's not just about an isolated conversation. It's about uh, how do we learn to have this conversation in that safe crucible, which really the real benefit is not just what occurs there, but how do we then take that knowledge, that wisdom, that experience that communication into our everyday life, into our relationships with other women, into our relationships with our kids, into our relationships with our parents, our loved ones, our work colleagues. The real juice and the real gold is that's the training ground in the men's group. And then it's like, okay, great. I'm going to take that into my relationship with my ex. How can I kind of do this, you know? And sometimes the men's group is not the right place to continue that deep dive and many men at some point use the men's group as a starting point but really they need much more you know they need therapy they need counseling they need psychology whatever it is maybe they need drugs maybe you know to manage themselves i don't know but often the men's group is a starting point for that that's awesome i can see that often a man will kind of see it and they'll go wow really feels good to actually not keep it in yeah you know and to share my shame that i've had and realize that actually 
you know, a bunch of other guys felt the same shame. Yeah, because when I, you know, when we went through a strife in our marriage, this is like f- probably three years prior to the divorce, my wife wanted to go to counseling, but I didn't want to. So I just said, no, I, I don't need that. And, uh, you know, it's totally my fault. But uh, then after six months, I said, yeah, let's go. So I kind of like gave in. But uh, we went through counseling and we, through several counselors. But uh, it was definitely a resistance from me to go and get help. And I think, and I hear that so often from guys that, uh, you know, you don't need help. You don't need to go out and ask for help. I, I can do this myself. And yeah. I, I think it's so important. I, I usually say to go through a divorce, you cannot do it yourself. It, it's impossible. It, you know, you're going to crash and burn. And uh, it's, uh, it's sad to see so many people that go five years, 10 years, downward spiral, and things just gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, suicidal thoughts, etc. cetera. It's, uh, it's so sad. So. And that's why I think, if I, if I can, that's why I love men's groups for men who are going through relationship issues. And I see, so even in my Facebook group, you know, you have seven and a half thousand men in this group, right? So you're going to get a whole lot of differing opinions if you post something authentically, right? But a lot of the sharing of posts is men who are dealing with relationship issues. Now, what's interesting is you'll see the feedback from different men. You'll see the guys who get in and just run and their natural thing is run leave get out of there you know as a projection of their own inability to be to stay in and try to have that conversation you know it's like no this will never work just get out of there straight away the truth is for me i don't really care at the end i'm passionate about relationships and people staying in relationships but not at the sake of our own well-being so for me it's kind of like well you know my first thing will always be if there's disharmony there have you had an opportunity to seek counseling or therapy around this? Have you yeah. had, have you taken this, you know, have you had an opportunity for many of the men when they're posting on our Facebook group, it's the first time they're ever sharing the disharmony that's going on in their relationship. Yeah. You know, let alone worked on it, you know? So my knee jerk reaction with those guys is first of all, have you had that, you know, have you done that? Now, at the end of the day, I don't, even though I'm passionate about relationships, I don't really care whether they, the, 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 the counseling leads to a divorce or it leads to, actually, we, we can make this work. But what I do think is important is that harmony is restored and that love is restored. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, well, how could we, you know, given that we sort of, you know, we created four kids together and we we spent for 20 years with each other you know can we can we separate with love or at least in some kind of harmony you yeah. know or could we make this work but either way we're going to we're both going to be happier people as a result of this i think either which way you go your kids are going to learn from that you're going to switch a little again. Initially, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, practice pillars and how you organize your life about these pillars and how that yep. has changed you and some other people asking about that. What is a practice pillar? It should be pillar practices. Okay. With the emphasis on you know practices that form the pillars of my life, as in these are the, they're the foundations. These are the practices that I do that form 
that support me to have a life that I find valuable and worthwhile and, you know, help me to be a capable man in the world. Now, everybody is going to have different pillar practices. For me, as I mentioned, like over the last 16 years, being part of a men's group has been an absolute pillar practice for me. Something that I do every, well, I'm now doing it every week. <laughs> and on the Facebook group, I'm doing it every day. But, you know, my solid group has been going for every two weeks for the last 16 years. So yeah. that is a very clear pillar practice. I go there every two weeks and it's very important to who I am as a capable man. And then over the years, I've just been like exploring what are the things that I love doing that I know like support me to be who I want to be. So meditation twice a day in the morning and the in, you know, afternoon or the early evening is an absolute pillar practice for me now. That's my daily practice. Yeah. You know, over the last couple of years, I've incorporated intermittent fasting into my routine. It just seems to work. I'm an ex-dietitian, so I know a lot, but that didn't really make a difference to my actual practice until I found a practice that worked for me around my eating. So that's a pillar practice, having you know, an eating approach that supports my well-being. Regular exercise is an absolute pillar practice. I think that men, I don't think, I know men need to move. Yeah, absolutely. We, we need stillness and we need movement. Yeah. So we, for me, meditation and exercise, whatever that may be. So I, for me, I love riding my bike. I love swimming and I do Kung Fu. So for me, martial arts is a, an incredibly important pillar practice for me. That's usually what I say to all men that's, you know, just starting going through divorce because a lot of times they, they just stop doing everything. A lot of people I talk to and coach, they just do, don't do anything. They sit at home watching TV. And yeah. I say, you know, what can you commit to? You know, can you commit to at least starting to exercise on a daily basis? Maybe just going out for a brisk walk for 20 minutes to get something going. And it's so important to get, have that regular practice, you know, exercise for your mind, especially. Huge, huge. Uh, it, it is just, it is therapy. I mean, I, I recently started uh, learning how to surf. Oh, yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm loving it, but it's again, it's another. I can see why for some men, you know, surfing is a pillar practice. Something you know, it's being in the uh -huh. ocean. So being in the ocean is another pillar practice for me. Uh -huh. You know, yeah, I feel cleansed. I feel alive. I just love being in the ocean. You know, and then I'll get home, and so I have, you know, I turn on the hot, but then I turn the hot off, and I will every day I will have a, a cold shower. That's another pillar practice. It's something uh, that, that keeps me alive and alert. It's an interesting one, but I, like for me, regular intimacy with my wife is a pillar practice. You know, I love being intimate with her, and I can feel if <laughs> if it's been you know a little while that like I'm not something's not quite right. Yeah, uh, you know, in our connectedness. So these are the things that I do. And then there's like, you know, there's other things that I do on an annual basis, you know, and I have to do an annual retreat. I do an annual cleanse, you know, these are my pillar practices. And I think a lot of men, as you said, you know, when we're hit with some kind of trauma, the natural thing is actually to just like check out yeah, and do nothing and just kind of, you know, but actually 
they're the moments when we actually need our pillar practices the most. What I usually say to men is don't wait for the trauma. Don't wait for the hardship. Don't wait for it to then kick you into, you know, kick you up the ass to, to then do this stuff. Do it now while you're feeling okay. Put them into practice because when things really do get tough, when you hit a challenge, when you hit that, you'll be in the routine already. Yeah. You know, and so you'll have all of these support mechanisms that are your pillar practices that will support you through whatever you're dealing with. Yeah, because when you develop habits, then uh, you don't have the friction to start an exercise. If you, if you already have an exercise routine, if you have the habit of having exercise every single day, when you go through these difficult things, it's no friction to start exercising because you already have the habit built in. When I coach people, it's like building these good habits in your life. It doesn't matter if you're on top or on the bottom, but to have them is so, so crucial. And uh, mm-hmm. to calling it pillar or habits, you know, this, this is really, really good. Yeah, it's a great distinction. And if you also then have a men's group that when you're going through the shit can say to you, that one of the things that we'll actually call each other on is, are you, you know, which of your pillar practices have dropped? Because they'll yeah. drop. Yep, absolutely. They'll, they'll, they'll call me on it and they'll say, hey, you know, which of your pillar practices have dropped? And which one do you need to put back in place that's going to support you through, de- through, through whatever you're dealing with? Yeah. You know. So it's very important to have men around you who are going to hold you accountable. Absolutely. Very very fundamental. Yeah. So we're running towards the end of the podcast. Uh, oh, this come has, on. We could keep on going for yeah, a couple we, of we hours. We could talk for least, hours. Man. Yeah, <laughs> but it's been so so fun to to dive into to you know all these different areas and that's what i love about the podcast i get to kind of like explore these uh, interesting people and uh, one question i always ask uh, in the end of the podcast is that if you visualize a guy or a girl lady that's going through divorce they've they've just started the process and they're in a very poor state what would you say would you know take what steps would you recommend this person to take i would say so what came to me immediately was be gentle with yourself because this is trauma and loss and grief you need to allow yourself the time to go through the process and then i would say do the work do the work Be responsible for where your life is as it is and who you are in the world and then do the work. It's going to be painful whether you – and do the work. Do it with a therapist. Do it on your own. Do it with a men's group. Do it with, with, you know, a best mate. But start deep diving and exploring, well, who am I in the world? What are my values? What's important to me? Am I fulfilling – those values? Am I living a life that is full and rich? Am I giving back? Am I contributing to the world? You know, with a lot of men talk and men's work talk about your purpose, but I think it's a, it's almost this elusive, oh, well, if I find my purpose, then I find, you know, that, that holy grail. But no, just do purposeful work. What have you been over these years as a result of the relationship and who you were in that relationship? And, 
what have you suppressed? What have you let go of? What parts of your true self have not been expressed through in this relationship that now need to come up? That's the work and just keep on doing the work. I love that, uh, being gentle with yourself, but also to start the work. I, I truly believe that divorce can be the catalyst for turning your life around. It can be this turning point that you and I talked about earlier, that mm. you really rediscover who you really are and who you're supposed to be, and to start maybe altering your course. For me, it was definitely a wake-up call, a big wake-up call to, to see, okay, where am I going to go? And, but to also be patient in this process, to really know it, it's going to take time. And being gentle with yourself, I think that's a very, very good advice. Brett, it's been a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. It's always so interesting to get to know people and to get to interview people and learn. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it.